Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4 is where we're reading, where we'll, we'll launch from today. I'm not going to take the time to read it because I've already taken some extra time. But Acts chapter 4, if you'll turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 4, we'd appreciate it so very much. Social media is a buzz. Uh, with announcements of churches starting to regather for public worship services following a six to eight week absence. Over the last eight weeks, church congregations have had to be sidelined from their normal public worship services due to governmental regulations enacted by the state and the federal government. In an effort to protect we the citizens... From this infectious virus, federal, state, and local governments have enacted community measures which have not been seen since 1918-1920, the Spanish flu. It's not been seen in my lifetime. There's some people that have seen it. Some of you know what I'm talking about, but it hadn't been seen in my lifetime. Everyone, everybody you talk to, all over social media, everyone has an opinion on the effectiveness and the validity of the measures that have been enacted by the governmental authorities. Everybody's got an opinion on what is right and what is wrong and what they need to do and what we can do and should be able to do. But this morning, my time with you this morning is not to confirm or criticize the efforts and the measures enacted by the governmental authorities. I'm not going to waste your time talking about that. My role as your pastor is to help us see what God is saying right now and what steps He wants us to take next. I don't want to waste valuable time on Sunday morning giving you my opinion of the governmental restrictions. That is not what you tuned in for. You tuned in to hear what God is saying right now to the church, to your family, to you personally, for your future. What is God saying right now? So let's talk about it for just a second, can we? Our lives have changed. Our patterns of behavior have changed. You recognize that. Our normal routine will forever look different. It's a new day in America. It's a new day in our world. Whether we like it or not, change has come. And if we spend our time complaining about all these changes and regretting that things are different, we will miss what God is saying, and what God is doing right now. Because God's working, and if we spend our time complaining about it, we'll miss it. Remember this verse of Scripture? We talked about it last week. You know it. You've heard it a dozen times if you've been around church world. Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him, who've been called according to His purpose. Do you hear what the Scripture said? Do you hear what the Bible says? And you know the Bible is God talking to us. That's God's Word. Do you hear what the Bible says? It says God works. We know that in all things, God works. In all things, God works. In all things, God is working. Listen, God is working in this coronavirus situation. 
God is working in my discomfort and your discomfort. God is working in the midst of this confusion. Everybody's confused. What do we do next? What can we do? What can we not do? When can we go there? When are they going to open up? When will school start back? Are they going to play football this fall? What is going to happen next? In all of this confusion, God is working. God is working in your furlough. God is working in your quarantine. God is working while churches are shut down. God is working in our travel limitations. God is working. And if we are only focused on our discomfort, the disruption of our routine, if we're only focused on our present-day difficulties, we will miss, we're going to miss the opportunities God is giving us today. Because God is working. God is working. I'm reminded of a story. The children of Israel had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. In the Old Testament, we read the story of the children of Israel. They had been slaves in Egypt for 400 years. Remember, when they started out in in Egypt at the beginning, Egypt was the place of rescue. It was the place of blessing. It was the place of prosperity. They went to Egypt to flee the famine in the land so that they could feed their families and continue their lives. But the situation changed. 400 years later, now Egypt is no longer the place of rescue. It's no longer the place of prosperity for them. It was for the Egyptians, but not for them. Now the place of rescue has turned into a place of bondage. It's a place where they are trapped and they cannot get out. And they cry to the Lord. And the Lord sends a deliverer by the name of Moses. You know the story. Now, if you went to Sunday school as a child, you heard the story of Moses and his birth and his miraculous deliverance when you were in Sunday school or when you heard the Bible stories when you were a child. And sometimes we have a tendency to forget those stories, and if we're not careful, we just think they're a historical children's story. But I want you to understand the the story of Moses' birth is a story that fits where we are today. It's an intriguing story at a time when the children of Israel were multiplying rapidly. Pharaoh was afraid they would become so many that they would eventually overthrow the Egyptians. The children of Israel, they were growing as a nation. And Pharaoh said, listen, if they continue to grow, they're going to be larger and more powerful than us. And they'll just take over. So Pharaoh ordered all male children being born to be killed. All male children, the male children, because the male children grow up to be the warriors. And he didn't want any competition. So he ordered all the male children who were born to be killed at birth. You know, today I wonder what Satan knows that we Christians still haven't figured out yet about our future. Just as in the days of Moses, if Satan can kill our children, our future, through abortion, he believes he can reign without interference. If Satan 
can kill our future. That's what abortion is all about. Today, the forces behind abortion are demonic. Their purpose is not women's health, but the reign and control of mankind's future. And when will Christians, people who are Christians who love the Lord, who vote for candidates, who support the killing of our future and the destruction of our future, when will we figure out that Satan is behind that? It's not God. That's exactly what was happening in the land of Egypt when Moses was born. They were killing all of the male children. When Moses was born, his mother hid him for three months. But it came to the place that she could hide him no longer. So she came up with this idea. Had to be inspired by God. She made a basket, an ark that would float. She placed Moses in the basket, hoping, praying, asking, begging, pleading with God that some compassionate person would spot the child and rescue him while he was floating down the river. Do you realize as children of God, we must remember that the difficulties and the heartbreaks that we are presently experiencing, it's never the end of the story. She thought it was the end of the story. In our present situation in America and around the world, we are consumed with the terrible effects of the coronavirus. The news is always bad. Just turn it on TV. I turned my phone on this week for a, for a couple hours and I just had to turn it off because the news is always bad. And if you and I are not careful, we'll get caught up in it. But child of God, if we are attentive, we can see God, even in the midst of the bad news, is working things out for our good. Can you imagine this mother placing her baby, her innocent baby boy in that basket, and gently pushing it away from the river's bank? Can you imagine what was going through her mind? An animal could attack it. The basket could have tipped over and the baby drowns. Egyptian soldiers who have been charged with the task of killing every male children could have come down to the river at that moment and saw the baby and just drowned it or immediately kill it and then go find the parents and kill it. You see, it was a mother's last-ditch effort, a mother's last-ditch effort of desperation. But with God, hallelujah, with God, our acts of desperation become his opportunity for salvation. Why? Because God is always working for our good. Around the bend, Pharaoh's daughter, can you imagine? Pharaoh's daughter just happened to come to the river that morning to bathe. And her servants with her... And the, her servant sees the basket floating in the water. They bring the basket to Pharaoh's daughter and she opens it. And it's a beautiful baby boy. We pick the story up. If you have your Bibles, turn to Exodus chapter 2. Turn over there in the Old Testament. Exodus chapter 2, verse number 2. And let's read a few verses here of the story of Moses. 
So the woman conceived, that's Moses' mother, and bore a son. And when she saw that he was a beautiful child, she hid him for three months. But when she could no longer hide him, she took an ark of bulrushes for him, daubed it with asphalt and pitch, and put the child in it and laid it in the reeds by the riverbank. As, as his sister stood afar off to know what would be done to him. Verse 5. Then the daughter of Pharaoh came down to bathe at the river. And her maidens walking along the riverside. And when she saw the ark among the reeds, she sent her maid to get it. And when she opened it, she saw the baby. And behold, the baby wept. So she had compassion on him. And said, this is one of the Hebrews' children. Then his sister, Moses' sister, said to Pharaoh's daughter, she ran over there and said to Pharaoh's daughter, shall I go call a nurse for you from the Hebrew women that she may nurse the child for you? And Pharaoh's daughter said to her, go. So the maiden went and called Moses' mama. Then Pharaoh's daughter said to her, Take this child away and nurse him for me, and I will give you wages. So the woman took the child and nursed him, and the woman took the child, and the child grew, and she brought him to Pharaoh's daughter, and he became her son. You see, God sees a broken-hearted mother in an act of desperation and turns the situation around. Listen, you might have been furloughed. Not furloughed, furloughed. You might have been furloughed. And in the midst of your Pharaoh or your furlough, you think you're desperate. God can turn your situation around. Think about it. God influences Pharaoh's daughter to go to the river at the same time Moses' mother is doing this act of desperation and putting her baby in the river. God causes Pharaoh's daughter to see the basket. When there were others down there, they could have already stolen the baby. God knew Pharaoh's daughter was the compassionate one in the family. If Pharaoh had been down there himself, he'd have had the baby killed like he did thousands and thousands of others. God directs Pharaoh's daughter to allow mother, Moses' mother, to nurse the baby. And here's what's incredible. Pharaoh pays the mama to take care of her own baby instead of killing the baby, which was his normal dictates for every other family. Think about that. In a moment of desperation... In our desperation, if we will be sensitive and watch God work, He will turn our desperation into our salvation. Why? Because God is always working for our good. Romans chapter 8 verse 28, For we know that God is always working for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. God works in our discomfort. As Christians, we must not be caught unaware. We must recognize and see the changes that the coronavirus is uh, causing. Travel has changed. 
Mandaniah was out preaching in Dallas, Texas a couple of months ago. In fact, it was the last weekend churches were allowed to, uh, to uh, gather in public assembly. Amanda and I were in Dallas, Texas, preaching that weekend. And what was amazing to us is on Thursday, when we got to Nashville Airport and flew to Atlanta, and then from Atlanta to Dallas, on Thursday, the airports were full, as they've normally been full. The planes were full. Multiple people everywhere standing in line, going through security, waiting in line, getting your bags checked, waiting in line. That was on Thursday. And then the quarantine hit, and we flew back in on Monday. And over three days' time, three days' time, the airport is almost completely empty. Almost completely empty. Travel has changed. In the United States of America. Education methodologies have changed. Medical methodologies have changed. The work environment has changed. The way we purchase consumer goods have changed. Our eating habits have changed. Social boundaries have changed. The routine of life as we know it. It's all changed. And in the midst of all these changes, life can be very uncomfortable. Especially if you don't like to embrace change, it can be very frustrating and very uncomfortable. But understand, God is not sitting in heaven trying to figure out how to get things back to the way they used to be. Do you realize that? God's not sitting in heaven trying to figure out, boy, things have changed. What are we going to do? What are we going to do? We need to get this back to the way we, it used to be. Now, listen, I, I'm, going, I'm getting ready, as we say in the South, I'm fixing to share something with you that I personally don't like. I, I, this is a truth that I wished wasn't true, but it's a life principle that we all know is the truth, but we don't like to talk about it, and here it is. There are many times when difficulty is the only motivation that will move us toward God's plan for our life. I don't like that. In fact, I despise it. But it's true. There are times, many times, when difficulty is the only motivation that will move us toward God's plan for our lives. Let me give you an example. Turn in your Bible over to the New Testament. If you're at your kitchen table or if you're in the living room, we have people every week say, Pastor, we were watching, we had our whole family or four or five, we are all sitting at the couch. And if you're sitting at the couch in your pajamas, you dog you. You got it made. You probably got eggs and bacon and... and, and, and uh, uh, Pop-Tarts, Pop-Tarts with ice cream. That's what I used to eat. Pop-Tarts with ice cream. What a way to start the day. Brown sugar cinnamon Pop-Tarts with ice cream. I tell you, it'll move you to a different level in life if you'll try that. But if you're sitting there watching TV today or watching your computer screen today, turn over to Acts chapter 1, verse number 6. Look what it says. So when the apostles 
were with Jesus, they kept asking him, Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Now, see, this is, this, this situation, this scenario is taking, taking place after Jesus has been resurrected from the dead. So he's already defeated Satan. He's already defeated sin. And he gets with the disciples right before he ascends into heaven. And, and notice what he says to them. Lord, has the time, or this is what they ask him. Lord, has the time come, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? Verse 7, Jesus replied, The Father alone has the authority to set those dates and times, and they are not for you to know. But you receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Now when you read that, and just think about it for a second, the disciples were questioning the Lord about when they were going to get back to their comfort. When, were, when are we going to be able to get back to the way the things used to be? Is, is this the time you're going to restore Israel and, and, and make us the ones who control our own destiny? Is, are you getting ready to do that? Is this the time you're going to get rid of Roman domination and make life easier for us? Everything has changed since the Romans took over. And when will we get back things the way they used to be? Everything has changed since coronavirus. When, when Lord, are we going to get things back to the way they used to be? And Jesus emphatically tells them that the Father has set the dates and the times. Then Jesus turns their attention to their mission. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses, telling people about me everywhere in Jerusalem, throughout Judea and Samaria, and the ends of the earth. Jesus is literally saying this to them. Your emphasis should not be on returning to a life of comfort, but fulfilling God's plan during this season of change. Jesus was giving his followers divine instruction for world evangelization and they wanted to spend their time talking about returning to a life of normalization. Let me repeat that. Jesus was giving his followers instructions on world evangelization, but all they could think about was turning to a life of normalization. Notice Jesus tells them that when they are filled with the Holy Spirit, they will be empowered to be witnesses everywhere. Notice where he tells them. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. You see, God's purpose for the church was then, and it is now, is to share the gospel in every community, every city, every nation, everywhere. 
That's why it thrills me every time I see a video of missionaries telling us, thank you, Family Worship Center, for helping us share the gospel. Think about it. This morning, because of our giving, because of your faithfulness and generosity, the gospel of Jesus Christ that Jesus told the disciples to share over 2,000 years ago is being shared this morning in Thailand. It's being shared this morning in India. It's being shared today in South America. It's being shared all over the world. Why? Because that's what Jesus said to do. Matthew 28, verse 19. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Then Jesus said this, Mark 13, 10. For the good news must first be preached to all nations. Mark 16, 15. Jesus said, and then he told them, go into all the world and preach the good news to everyone. Where? All the world. And preach the good news to everyone. Now what's what's difficult about this is when Jesus gave them these instructions in Acts chapter 1, 500 people heard him. Yet only 120 hung around long enough a few days later to receive the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. You know, In Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit came, and you read about that on the day of Pentecost, and we've heard that for years. Following that great moment on the day of Pentecost, when the Holy Spirit came, for several years there was a great revival in Jerusalem. God's presence and His power was wonderful, but it was confined just to that local group. Its benefits were inward instead of outward. And unfortunately, uh, that's what I'm hearing a lot today from Christians. Oh, I just wish I'll be glad when we can get back together. I can't wait till we get back together. Oh, when we get back together. See, the the emphasis, though we don't really mean it, I hope we don't mean it, the emphasis is what it's going to do for our foreign no more, our group. The emphasis is inward instead of outward. And the church at Jerusalem had some phenomenal things going on. They are having fantastic church services with the supernatural gifts of the Spirit in manifestation. They were hearing great preaching. I mean, you got the apostles preaching. That's a, that's a fantastic lineup. They were feeding the poor. They were taking care of widows. They were doing what everybody nowadays would say is unbelievable stuff. But they forgot their ultimate purpose. Remember what Jesus said? Tell everybody about me, not only in Jerusalem, but also Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the world. Remember, the Holy Spirit didn't arrive. The Holy Spirit didn't arrive just for an implosion for God's people. He also came for an explosion of evangelization around the world. God is not bringing us through this coronavirus just so we can get back together and have great church services. He is bringing us through this coronavirus so we'll be motivated to take the gospel around the world. God didn't send the Holy Spirit at the darkest moment in history of humanity to restore good people's comforts. 
He sent the Holy Spirit to empower believers to rescue those who are lost all over the world. When Jesus shared this message to go into all the world, and when he said the Holy Spirit's coming, he didn't send the Holy Spirit. That was the darkest moment in history. He didn't send the Holy Spirit at the darkest moment in history just to restore good people's comforts. He sent the Holy Spirit to empower those good people to take the gospel around the world. (laughs) Years passed, and the church back then remained in Jerusalem. You know, um, Satan doesn't mind our church being a good church with good things going on. He he knows he's lost. He he can't beat that. He He doesn't mind any church being a good church with things going on. He just doesn't want our church being a church with a passion for the world. He don't mind us being a good church as long as we contain it and confine it to ourselves. He just doesn't want us to have a passion for the world. Let me prove it to you. One day Peter and John are going to the temple to pray. They're in the church at Jerusalem. They're going to pray. That's their normal routine. Go to the temple to pray. There's a guy there who is laying at the gate of the temple who was lame. And he had been lame since birth. Everybody knew who he was because every time they'd go to the temple, they would see him there begging. (laughs) One preacher, the King James says, he was begging for alms. He was asking for alms. One country preacher I heard years ago said, isn't it amazing? He asked for alms and got legs. Well, that's, a, that's not the literal translation of that verse, but it, it makes a lot of sense uh, nonetheless. Everyone knew about this guy because he was daily laying at the, the gate begging for money. Suddenly, Peter and John see him, and uh, they, they heal the man through the power of the Holy Spirit, through faith. They heal this man who had been paralyzed since birth. Everyone knew about this guy. So, so they, all of a sudden everybody starts seeing this guy who's been at the gate every time they'd seen him since birth. Lame, paralyzed. Suddenly they see this guy standing up, jumping, shouting, praising God, running around the area. And the news of this dramatic, dramatic healing spreads and a crowd forms. See, healing is the dinner bell of the gospel. When the healing power of Jesus is in manifestation, people will run to find Jesus. Listen, we don't need government intervention. Now, we need the power of healing, the divine healing power of Jesus to be in manifestation, and that will solve everything during this coronavirus quarantine. The healing of this man, gave Peter the platform to preach about Jesus, and preach he did. The Bible tells us that the crowd that gathered was so large that heard Peter preach that day after the healing of this lame man that over 5,000 men accepted Jesus as their Lord and Savior. (laughs) Of course, this upset the religious leaders who wanted everything normal, even though normal meant bondage. So they came by force and put Peter and John in jail overnight. 
The next day, they bring Peter and John in for questioning. Peter takes that moment as another opportunity to preach Jesus. Peter didn't get up there and say, my rights have been violated. You did us wrong. You're not treating us right. We have constitutional rights. Everything, every moment, every opportunity, every discomfort, every difficulty, every trial, every test, every tribulation that the early church went through, it never was turning an excuse for them to be victims. It was an opportunity for them to preach Jesus Christ. The early church always defaulted to witnessing about Jesus. I've been disappointed in so many Christians because during this whole situation, and pastors too, we've been defaulting to our constitution instead of defaulting to the Bible and preaching Jesus Christ as King Soon coming King and Lord and Savior. They never talked about their rights or being victims of the system back then. It was in this message that Peter preached to those government authorities that resounds over 2,000 years later. You hear it all the time. It was during that message that you hear this famous verse of Scripture. Acts chapter 4, verses 10 through 12. Let it be known to you all and to all the peace people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands before you whole. This is the stone which was rejected by you builders, which has become the chief cornerstone. Listen. Verse 12, nor is there salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. We've heard that in churches for thousands, two thousand years. We've heard that just about every Sunday in every church we go to. When was that preached? That was preached as men were quarantined for the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible tells us that after they hear that message, the religious leaders hear that message from Peter, and they kept looking at the man was healed, the religious leaders couldn't deny that a notable miracle had taken place. And then Acts chapter 4, verses 13 through 18 says this, Now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John, and perceived that they were uneducated and untrained men, they marveled. And they realized that they had been with Jesus And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they could say nothing against it. But when they had commanded them to go aside out of the council, they conferred among themselves. So they sent Peter and John out by themselves, and then they got their heads together to decide what to do. And they said, what shall we do with these men? For indeed, a notable miracle has been done through them. It's evident to all who dwell in Jerusalem, and we can't deny it. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they may speak no more no, to no man in Jesus' name. So they called them and commanded them not to speak at all nor teach in the name of Jesus. Look again at Acts chapter 4 verse 17. But so that it spreads no further among the people, let us severely threaten them that from now on they may speak to no man in his name. Have you ever thought about it? Satan didn't want the message to spread. 
so that it spread no further, they said. Satan doesn't want the message to spread. Satan doesn't mind you having a good church. He just doesn't want our churches to be world evangelization centers. Several years pass and the church in Jerusalem experiences more good things, but they stay mostly confined to their group. The message leaks out every once in a while, but they still are just staying in Jerusalem. Finally, in Acts chapter 7, a man is introduced to humanity by the name of Saul. And he starts persecuting the church. He is the one who did the first persecution of one of the church's most famous deacons, Stephen. And we pick the story up in Acts chapter 8 verse 1. Now Saul was consenting to his death. And at At that time, a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And they were all scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles. Remember what I said earlier? There are times when difficulty is the only motivation that will move us toward God's plan for our life. Do you remember what Jesus said to them in Acts chapter 1? You shall receive power after the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. And for several years, they got filled with the Spirit and just hung out among themselves. It took a persecution. Notice where they got scattered to when Saul came to the forefront and started persecuting them. They got scattered to Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the world. The same place Jesus told them to go in the beginning, they ended up having to go because life got uncomfortable. Yes, the coronavirus is demonic. It's stealing our finances. It's killing people. And it's destroying our economy and everything it touches. It has the DNA of Satan all over it. It is demonic. But in the midst of this demonic situation, God is working. And he's allowing the church to break new ground, to meet the challenges, and witness to people as never before. Think about it. For the first time in many churches' history... Their message about Jesus, their witness of Jesus, has moved beyond their four walls. With nothing more than a phone on a stand, they have been forced to take what they talk about every Sunday morning for 50 and some churches a 100 years, and now take that message out of their sanctuary and take it to the ends of the world. Some of these churches have been in existence for 50 and 100 years and have never taken their message on Sunday morning outside of their four walls. But now because of their discomfort, you see, in our discomfort, the mission of our church is being fulfilled. 
What is God saying, Pastor? He's saying this. In these changes that have been forced upon us, stop murmuring and stop complaining and take advantage of the new opportunities which have been given to us to witness about Jesus Christ. Do you realize that with a single click of your mouse or a touch on your screen, you can fulfill the mission of Christ that every nation will hear the message of Jesus Christ. It's never been easier. And it's all come in the moment of our discomfort. It's all happened when things were forced upon us. The message of Christ is finally going to the ends of the world by the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our relatives in other states, we cannot bring them to church, but we can call them, email them, and say, just click on this, and the church can go to them. We can point them to a website. And, you know, websites are not offensive. There's a lot of people that's been offended by the church. But you know, you can sit in your home, you can drive down your car, and you can listen in the own privacy of your own home or your own privacy of your own space. And that's not offensive. And you can hear the message of Jesus Christ. Hey, you can invite family and friends who live in other states and even other countries to join you on an online watch party to hear the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no way you could get them all together to come to a church service. But now, with the touch of the screen, with an email, with an instant message, you can invite all of your family and friends who live regardless of where they live all over the world to hear the message of Jesus Christ. <laughs> oh God, give us an implosion of your presence, but also give us an explosion a passion for world evangelization. We're coming together next Sunday as a church family. We're going to have a time. We're going to sh shout. We're going to rejoice. We're going to love one another. We're going to worship the Lord. We're going we're to celebrate making it through this craziness. But, oh God, let us have not only an implosion of your presence, but give us an explosion of passion to touch others around the world with the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Hey, would you invite somebody to watch our live stream? Would you invite somebody just to, hey, check this out. If you don't like it, you can turn it off. I, I have people come to church every Sunday, and after five minutes, they turn me off. <laughs> so we won't get offended, but give them an opportunity. Give them an opportunity to hear the gospel. It's never been easier. We love you, Family Worship Center. We're praying for you every single day. And we're anxiously anticipating getting back together. We've been able to come to you via live stream because of the faithfulness of, of uh, 12 to 15 servants here at Family Worship Center. They have, during this time, they have improved our, our programming. They've improved our equipment. They've given hour upon hour upon hour serving you, making sure you see the best possible program that we can do. And I'm so proud of every one of them. 
And when we get back together, these people that you see behind the cameras, these people that you see behind the sound booth, the lighting booth, and the media booth, these people that are on the, on the platform, they just didn't do it when you showed back up. They've been here working when nobody's been here. So be sure to let them know you love them. Can I pray for you? Father, thank you that you've protected the Family Worship Center family. Thank you that coronavirus cannot get close to them. Thank you that our children are protected. No accident or injury can come near the people of Family Worship Center. Thank you that the peace of God, the protection of God, and the favor of God is going to rest upon you this week. And Lord, make us attentive and sensitive to our opportunity to share the gospel. Amanda and I love you. Have a great week. See you next week at Family Worship Center.